the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. And for those of you watching us live at youtube.com slash cover3, you have been very, very resilient and patient. You have persevered. And so far, I hope the audio sounding seems good. So much better is what I'm seeing. Okay, we are off. We are going. The audio is great. It's good. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening on the audio side, wherever you get your podcasts, we appreciate that as well. Um, okay, so Brian Ferentz, do you expect – how about this? Danny, do you expect Iowa to have a dynamic downfield passing attack? Is Graham Harrell going to get hired away from Purdue? Like, what does Iowa do to replace Brian Ferentz? Uh, so I think what's interesting – Chris Hassel, our resident Iowa expert at CBS Sports HQ. I was talking to him. Uh, we had him on the radio show. He And he is a diehard, right? Doesn't it feel like it's a better time to possibly just make a clean break from everything? Mm. Like go in a totally new direction? Because what I think he was frustrated at is that if, if Kirk Ferentz is there, you're not going to go out and hire Graham Harrell. You're not going to go hire a Phil Longo like Wisconsin did. You're not going to go get a Garrett Riley. You're going to go get somebody that you like, that you're familiar with, that's going to implement what you want to do, which is run the ball and play good defense and don't turn it over. So it almost does feel like it's an opportunity. Now, it has to be Kirk Ferentz's call. Like, I think it's it's going to be his. But is this – he is not happy. He's clearly – this is a move that he didn't want to make, that he was forced, you know, to make. Is that enough for him to say, you know what, I've had it, I'm good it's a clean break. Plus, you get the new Big Ten next year. Like it feels like it just is a good time for everybody. But in saying that, he's also making seven seven million bucks a year that he would have to walk away from. But the thing is, <clears throat> let's say Kirk Ferentz decides to retire at the end of the year. Oh, whatever. Blah blah blah. Do you know who they replace him with? Right, Mark Stoops. Exactly, and it'd be a great hire, but it's not going to be a drastic change from what you're already doing. You're just going to have somebody who has a more modern kind of approach 
to what you're doing and it's a little bit more ardent of a recruiter. So the stoops have a son. Look at this. <laughs> yes, I mean, there are a lot of stoopses out there coaching. Yeah. Like Mike might show to coach the defense. It's not is that know, the rumor? Is that is that oh I just he does I, have two sons. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's the only job Mark Stoops would leave Kentucky for right now, unless he gets right. fired. I think he'd leave for Michigan State if, if he doesn't have realistic expectations. Michigan State's got a lot of money, too. If you wanted to go in a totally different direction, if you're Iowa and like Kirk Ferentz retires, I think Dan Mullen would be pretty good. And it's a different direction. It's an offensive mind. He's had success. The recruiting thing is interesting because that's what – but, I mean, is Iowa – what is their expectation to recruit? Like, it's not what the expectation was Yeah, before. they're developed. Yeah. I mean, they get – they do land a decent number of four stars from, like, the Chicagoland area, but they are still primarily a – you know, we'll recruit three stars and two stars and one stars, and we will develop them into, you know, players. Stoops yeah. would be good for that. Yeah, oh, yeah. But he would also – I think he would – step up the recruiting game more than maybe what Iowa already does. I was kind of a program where since you expanded the big 10, their hopes of winning the big 10 have gone from slim to basically none going mm-hmm. forward. Right. Adding USC, adding Oregon, adding Washington, all better programs. You know, UCLA is kind of close to Iowa as far as ability to get talent. So I don't know. Um, I think we're going to skip the video just to, to hold our mouth right and keep the, keep the audio going good. <laughs> yeah. I think Got so. It. Yeah, right. that's that, that's fair. It was it was amazing. Look, that was a, that was a, a one time. You know, just if you were with us, rocking live. Where were you? Moment. You heard you heard awful audio, but an amazing video. I I uh, look. They just have to make a hire, and I I agree that they should probably move on from Kirk. Ultimately, like is is his style going to work in the new Big Ten? Kind of doubt it, right? Everybody in the Big Ten West this year is averaging less than twenty five points. You do have to score a little bit of points if you actually want to seriously try to win the league. And that style they're playing isn't going to work when you have to play the big boys more often. It's just going to get more embarrassing. So uh, I think it's been a great run. I'd, I'd make a change there. If the uh, Cooper DeGene return doesn't get called, are we sitting here today having the same discussion? Yes. Probably not. Long, long-term discussion, yeah. Short-term discussion, maybe not. Right. Not- I still think that he would have been let go this week. I think that that's what the buy was for. I think that this is, I think it was just a situation where they didn't want it to keep dragging on, especially because it was now clear that, I mean, the contract stipulation, which if they had it, cool, but they probably should have never let it be known publicly. I think that was kind of a mistake because it became what it became. But I think once it became clear that he, there was no chance he was going to hit it. So, Instead of just dragging it out and dealing with all the questions about it every single week, I think that, you know, it was probably just rip the Band-Aid off, get it over with, and then have them stay through the end of the season because why would you want to saddle anybody else with this offense for the rest of the year and kind of, you know, like, here, you want your shot to be an offensive coordinator? Go for it. Like, nobody's going to really even want it to be the interim. So, I don't know. I, I think this was happening no matter what happened in that Minnesota game. I like Bud's theory of it probably happened, or maybe Tom, you, one of you two said it probably had happened. We just hadn't heard about it because they were in the off week. We're so used to sure. you fire the coach into the off week, and then internally they had probably already made the decision, especially since he's not fired. He's just not going to return. Mm-hmm. Like He's still going to be out there putting together game plans for the conclusion of this season where Iowa is in the – they are in the five-team or the four-team 
uh, slog at three and two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Minnesota's still in there. Iowa's still in there. Nebraska's in there. I mean, it's a, it's a you, you still got all your dreams of going to Indianapolis and losing 41 to three again. Okay. <laughs> like, why would you want to have a, a huge hole in your, in your preparation process? when you could still do that. Uh, interesting, and, and especially as it pertains to uh, what's the path forward for Iowa in general. I also think having the signing day in December plays a role in this too because you need to have this out there so any potential recruits that are already committed or considering committing, you can't negatively recruit against them saying, well, do you know that, Brian, if you look at that offense, do you sure you want to play in that? So, Counterpoint, do you want anybody on offense who's committed to Iowa? They do have, I can't remember his name, but they've got the four-star QB whose name I cannot remember right now. Oh, like, from Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I think he's more of an athlete, not a quarterback, to be honest. But we'll that, see. that would I mean, I've, look I've, at I've their current quarterbacks. His, his track times are much better than his arm. Look at their current quarterbacks, bud. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to have an athlete there. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that would be new. This kid can like run, run. Like, he can really run. run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to have another. Um, Sorcalf McNamara year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He says he's coming back. So a lot, lots of decisions. And he's calling his own plays. Damn it. Do they want him back? <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Right. Like, yeah. Is, is that one of those cases where he signed he good? an NIL deal and like, now he's like, hmm, I can come back for another year of this deal or. Or go sell insurance because he's, he's not going to play pro. I mean, it. it I don't know. I, I never bought the hype on their offense because I, I was like, this Caleb Brown kid from Ohio State, I don't see it. And McNamara, just like a total jag at Michigan who's surrounded by a lot of talent, you know, what's he going to do when he has Iowa talent? Probably, I mean, he got hurt, so I guess that's the excuse. I just, I never thought if he was healthy, he was going to be any good. Well, I didn't think he was going to win a Heisman, but I thought he was an upgrade over Spencer Petrus. Yes. That's probably fair. It, yeah. It'd be hard not to be, but hey, miracles happen every day. <laughs> um, w- one more thing before we uh, we hit the break. I saw Bud talking about this on Twitter. Do you really think the Dabo call from Tyler was a plant? Tyler from Spartanburg? I, I think it, it's if it was, it was a perfect plant. I mean, you, you almost had to have your producer in on this to let the guy get a run up on a head coach of two minutes and fifteen seconds, right? And and just it was perfectly well planned. The guy talking about he was an overseas veteran, so like you're not going to like cut the call off because then it's rude because you're disrespecting a veteran. Right, and the guy's a longtime fan of the program, been going to games since before Davo was hired. And then Davo happened to have all these stats just top of mind, memorized. Like oh, he's felt, always got those stats. Those stats are those, always yeah. top of mind. It, yes, it, especially it when you're rehearsed. defending your tenure, you know. And that's the thing is, like, coaches rattle them off, and they don't always fact check them, right? But they're so confident, and they're a coach when they say it. I liked on uh, on Tuesday's media availability with the Clemson media. Uh, Dabo said he uh, he went Old Testament on me and got an Old Testament response. And you know what? That's right. Okay. Got a little softer when she had a son. I think Dabo is well within his right to do what he did. I had no yeah. problem with it whatsoever. I actually liked it. That was good for him. I Because I think there's a lot of fans out there that are spoiled rotten. And I think a lot of Clemson fans are. I'm not saying all of them. But I mean, I and we dealt with it at Florida State, right, bud? I mean, towards the end of Bobby Bowden's tenure, there was a lot of fans who were like, Let's have him retire. You know, I mean, it just it happens in every fan base. It's yeah. an unfortunate reality. The one thing that, that I think you got to push back here is when Debo's like, where's the appreciation? As Don Draper said, that's what the money's for. If you're making $11.5 I can't have you just 
doing a really bad job. And for the last two years, Dabo's done a terrible job because he has neglected the transfer portal. And this is like if you're an NFL guy, you're like, we're only going to use the draft. No free agency at all, right? You better damn sure be perfect in every valuation. Better have no injuries. Better have no attrition. And, like, it's been just, like, beyond negligence from Dabo for two years now. This is why I think if you're a Clemson power, power player, I think you're actually pretty happy about these losses. Because, A, you know that Clemson's much better than its record. All the advanced metrics say so. So you're not that far away from getting back. But your record allows you to actually tell Dabo, hey, man, like, we're not doing this entirely your way anymore, okay? $11.5 million is appreciation for what you've done. But what you're doing is not going to work going forward because it's totally inefficient compared to what all your competitors are doing. They're using the draft and free agency. You're only using the draft. Also, you can't hire all the, like all these cronyism hires for these guys that are not qualified to coach at a program that has national title aspirations. So I think these losses, if you're like a major Clemson booster or if you're the AD, I think you're kind of loving them right now. I think you're really excited because you'd be like, hey, man, we're not playing this no more. There was a phrase that Dabo used, and I'm very curious to see how it plays out. He used the word pruning. Right, He was talking about Clemson like a, a big tree, and to keep a tree healthy, you need to have pruning. Does that mean more changes on the coaching staff, or does that mean running kids off? I think it has to be both. They, they, they have a lot of dead weight on that roster, and that applies to the coaching staff too. That is biblical too, by the way. Pruning? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not surprising at all. I love it. Coming up on the other side, every single Wednesday, we go inside some of the biggest matchups of the week. We call it Big Game Breakdown. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Breaking through the walls every Wednesday. We call it Big Game Breakdown. Let's begin with Texas hosting Kansas State noon Eastern time. Massive, massive game in the Big 12, where, of course, we have found ourselves in a spot where all these teams have one conference loss. So it's everyone's favorite elimination Saturday. So Kansas State has lived several lives uh, over the last maybe six weeks or so. They seemingly uh, were falling apart. They were having injury issues. And then as they face some of the softer teams on their schedule, they haven't just been beating them. They've been absolutely blowing them out of the water. Texas is a four-point home favorite. Of course, we still don't have Quinn Ewers in this matchup. Do you think, uh, Danny, that Kansas State's – do you think that Kansas State is going to be able to take advantage of this opportunity – uh, to be able to get back into that Big 12 title game picture as they are the reigning champions of the conference. I absolutely think they could. Uh, we'll give our locks tomorrow. Um, there's a couple things that I think are really interesting in this matchup because Malik Murphy wasn't great. I don't think, like, I think he played like you expected to. He didn't make the catastrophic mistake, but he made some mistakes, right? One of his, you know, the one pick he was trying to get away of it and the pressure and 
totally like just forgot like, oh yeah, it's what it's like to get hit and how quick the guys are as he's trying to throw it away or get it to his outlet and it was underthrown and picked to go the other way, but good for him. The other quarterback, Keaton Slovis, also had a bad game and you had a lot of points of special teams. Like you had a lot of assistance where there was a pretty wide margin for error against BYU. That's going to tighten up some. Like a mistake like he made against BYU could possibly hurt them. What I think is interesting with Kansas State, their secondary is not great. They can be had in the deep passing game. And that's where I'm wondering, will Sark dial those plays up to A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy on the outside? Will they take their shots and will Malik Murphy connect on them and take advantage of what I think is probably the best way for them you know, to score points on this Kansas State defense? Because Kansas State, pretty physical team. I know Jonathan Brooks has been great. But if they can slow down the run, can they put it on Malik Murphy, who is probably even – no, I didn't think he was uh, mobile. Like, I didn't think by any means they were going to start running RPOs. He is a pocket passer. But he also didn't run very much at all. Like, he is pretty much strictly in the pocket. I'm just curious to see if Kansas State can make them one-dimensional and put it on his back. And if they do, he's going to have to step up and make some big-time throws. I think Kansas State coach Chris Kleiman uh, was pretty revealing in his pressure this week. He talked about how he wished he had a little more film on Malik Murphy, and I think that is just obviously true. They only have one game of him, but also the fact that Texas showed basically nothing, Mm. right? Like, Mm. we know this kid's a really good athlete. We know he can run. I think Texas realizes that BYU's personnel is just – they don't have P5 players. It's a G5-looking football team. You actually just watch him on the field. Texas didn't have to show anything really, and, and they 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 covered the game comfortably. So, if you're K State, you're kind of flying blind. But what you do know is that Texas has done a great job creating wide open guys against you two years in a row by using formation, especially last year. Like K State did not adjust to the unbalanced stuff. They really struggled with the trips into the boundary stuff. Now I know Texas had different personnel last year, and they had Bijan and that kind of thing. But I I, I think Sark's going to be in his bag here. And I'm relatively confident that Texas can score 30 just with Murphy and and, and dialing up different stuff. Because I agree with you. I don't think this Kansas State pass defense is worth a damn. Kansas State very well could have lost to TCU had Morton not got knocked – or to to Texas Tech, rather, had Morton not got knocked out and they had to play the third stringer who, just as we saw last week against BYU, really can't play. So I, I, uh, I think Texas will score. The question is, like, just how much better is this K-State offense and can Texas defense get back to what it was, you know, more against, like, Alabama? And if Texas is scoring, where is it scoring from? Because, like, I do think that they will – I think you can get big plays against this Kansas State secondary, but we've seen Texas get these big plays with Quinn Ewers, and part of the not having the tape on Malik Murphy is for Kansas State, not 100% sure what Texas is going to do. And for the rest of us, it's not exactly being 100% sure what Texas can do with Malik Murphy. Can he hit those shot plays the way that Quinn Ewers does? Probably. <laughs> He's a pretty talented player, but we it's yet to be seen. And I think that it's important because if you look at the red zone, and this is, I've talked about this with Texas before, they're awful in the red zone, like just completely poopy. They are 114th nationally in points per red zone possession at 382 Kansas State defensively is sixth in points allowed per red zone possession at 3.3. And on the other side, offensively, 
Kansas is third nation at 5.25 points per, whereas Texas is second at 2.74. So I think the red zone is going to play a very key spot in this one. And will Texas's offense actually be better with Murphy in there than it is with Ewers? Because like you were saying, Danny, even though we didn't see it, maybe you can use Murphy more as a threat with his legs in that spot, along with him and Jonathan Brooks to kind of open things up and find some lanes to be able to, you know, push the ball home and finish it. And then Kansas state on offense, it's I can they score enough to keep up? Because I do think Texas is going to put points in the board. And this Kansas State offense, like you look at the offensive line, I think they're good at tackle with Cooper B being KT Leviston. I think they're both good players, but they're kind of soft on the interior. And that's not great considering you're going up against Tavondre Sweat, Alfred Collins, Byron Murphy, and everybody that Texas has on its defensive line who have been, you know, really good on the interior of that defensive line. And I think that is going to be a problem for a Kansas State team that, frankly, is going to want to run the ball, is going to want to limit the possessions in this game and slow things down to keep that Texas offense off the field and keep this in an area where they can, you know, keep close and give themselves a chance to win. Are they going to be able to do that against this Texas defense? I'm not entirely confident that they will. Especially because of the way they attack, right? Like, Texas defense is, to me, more vulnerable to the pass than they are the run. They're fairly stout in the front seven. So can K-State pass enough to beat Texas? They might be able to. Guys, like, the, the line's like, what, five? So four, yeah. four. Four. I mean, yeah, like that. You give Texas three for home. Vegas essentially sees these teams without Quinn Ewers as, like, Texas one point better. On a neutral field, it. I do think the chance that we have a two-loss Big Twelve champion is a lot higher than people are discussing out there. Mm, that's yeah. true. I would agree. I mean, obviously, Texas could lose this game. Yes, and Oklahoma State. Well, we'll get to it. But do yeah. you think the X factor could be Avery Johnson, who's been playing a lot more since Will Howard? You know, he's been. They've been using him as their running quarterback kind of and to me it's guy. interesting because they've almost gone to this two quarterback system using him and I think that's an and they worked it last year with Adrian Martinez and Will Howard and I think Will Howard's an okay runner but going back to Colin Klein the offensive coordinator like he was a running quarterback who really liked to run you know as himself as a player I think you might see Avery Johnson get some carries in this game and he's a pretty dynamic runner that's what makes things pretty interesting and they've worked a two quarterback system so maybe they try to continue that um you know, in Austin. Is Kansas State computer trickers or are they just really good at all the fine details? Because you look at the personnel, who is overwhelming on this Kansas State team? But yet everything on a down-to-down basis, everything in terms of your success rate, like all, all the things that factor into power ratings give Kansas State a good enough power rating so that you are basically right in line or on the same path as Texas, as you mentioned. Because... There hasn't been one result that I've pointed to all season. I've been like, man, that team, like they are ready to go into Austin and kick Texas's ass. But is that just, you know, part of the Chris Kleiman experience with Kansas State where you're able to take uh, personnel that is not overwhelming and be able to figure it out on a down to down basis to close that gap with teams that are more talented like Texas? Because I don't think Texas is good at the small things. I think Kansas State is great at the small things. And I think that Texas has the erasers and the hammers that can be the ultimately the difference in a very close game where if Kansas State gets put in that position, I don't know what the what the move is, you know, what the finish, finishing move that the Wildcats can pull out is. 
But then I'm also looking at the coaching matchup. Who would you rather trust, Chris Kleiman or Sark? Because there's a good X's and O's argument, but also there are a lot of you know Texas fans and USC fans and Washington fans that might also say you know this this is going to be a tough spot for uh, for Steve Sarkeesian. And and definitely, how about this? Can't lose for Steve Sarkeesian. Can't lose game. Can't be. You can't have this squad go into Tuscaloosa, beat Alabama, and then enter Week 11 with two losses. You'd rather have Chris Kleiman. Chris right. Kleiman is a much better head coach than, than Steve Sarkeesian so far in his tenure on game day. I, like, would I rather have Sark or Kleiman to run a big time program? I've seen Sark recruit, and that like we we assume that guys can recruit, but look at Dan Mullen; it doesn't always happen, right? So, but on on a Saturday, I'd rather have Kleiman. For this specific matchup, I think Kansas State has to throw the ball well. Mm-hmm. Texas's run defense is legitimately very good. Nobody has run the ball successfully on Texas all year because they are very stout at the point of attack. They have real NFL guys up front. So uh, can they throw the ball well enough? Like Avery Johnson's been an awesome addition. And he can throw, by the way. Like he's not just a wildcat quarterback. But my thought is they probably need Howard to play a really good game to win this one. Or they need Murphy to self-destruct. And, and then then you can win a game where you're scoring in the 20s. But if you need to get to the 30-something, you probably need a really nice throwing game from Howard. I I don't think Kansas State is computer trickers, right? I think Texas has played due to its athleticism level once this year. Mm. You would decidedly rather have Kleiman than Sark on a game day? Yeah, I think I think his, his track record as a head coach from, from all the prior stops really matters to me. I think he's very trustworthy. What about Sark's track record for calling plays on game day? I think that's totally fair. Like, But it's also, I mean, how many times has that shown up this year? I think Sark's a pretty genius play for you. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I think that it's it's show, like last week they were very much not doing anything because, like we were saying, they were playing BYU. I, I think game day, I got nothing against Chris Kleiman, who I think is a great program leader, but I think during a game I would rather have Sark. Mm. I think that's fair, yeah. Then at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, We got the beginning of an SEC on CBS doubleheader. Remember, it's a tripleheader on CBS, Ohio State and Rutgers in the noon slate. We will be going to Athens for the beginning of this run where the Georgia Bulldogs finally get to see their strength of schedule rating improve. Congratulations, Georgia. I know that you're upset that you're not the number one team in the country, but these next three weeks are your opportunity to work your way up to that number one spot. They are favorites of more than a touchdown against Missouri. We saw an awesome performance from Carson Beck uh, in the cocktail party against Florida. Do you think that against this Missouri defense, uh, Tom, against this Missouri defense, you think Carson Beck is going to be able to have another big day? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) First of all, you said that you think George is upset at being number two. No, Kirby's reaction seeing number two was yes. He was thrilled with it. He said we're seven and five. That's what that number two means. Yeah, no, I mean, I how many stops is Missouri going to get in this game? Because like I, I I understand that they're seven and one and they've got that nice win over Kansas State, but even that win was kind of a back and forth affair. And we mm-hmm. saw when they played LSU, I can't remember what the final was it like fifty two to forty nine or something like that. Like they when they have played good offenses, this Missouri team's defense really hasn't done a great job. Like overall on the season, I think they've been good, but in those games against the best teams. They haven't been good. And when I look at these teams, it's like 
I'm trying to find the spot where I could look at Mizzou and say they've got the advantage over Georgia at that spot. And I think outside of Luther Burden, there's really no spot where I look at Mizzou and say they're decidedly better than Georgia. And even that, I don't know if they're decidedly better because Georgia has good corners. Georgia has good safeties. I think that if there's any team that's going to be capable of slowing Burden and Weiss and those guys down, it's Georgia. And I think if you look at Missouri's offensive line, I think it's been good this year, and I'm not taking anything away from it. But it also struggled against LSU's defensive line, and that was probably the best defensive line it has seen to this point this season. And Georgia's, it's pretty good too. So I think if you're the Tigers, like you're going to have to manufacture some ways to put points on the te- on the board that you aren't able to do against other teams that you're, you know, to, against this Georgia squad because they can stop you. They could just you know drop back and force you to go the long way down the field, and then hold you to field goals. Although. Georgia's red zone defense has actually been pretty bad this year. It's just, it's hard to get to the red zone against them. (laughs) And Carson Beck, like Jaden Daniels tore this team apart. I think Carson Beck's going to tear this team apart too. Like even without Brock Bowers, I still think that Georgia's going to get guys open. I think they will be able to run the ball very effectively on this Missouri team, which is something that Georgia hasn't been great at all year, but is getting better at as the year wears on. It's, it's been a very solid season for Mizzou. I do not like the odds of winning this game. I don't like the odds of really keeping it close. It's funny you talk about the personnel because um, you know, somebody who would have be maybe given Missouri an edge there is now playing for Georgia, as in Dom Lovett, who is now one of their top pass catchers and was the leading pass, the leading receiver for Missouri just last season. And look, he had 83 yards on four catches against Florida. He had nine catches for 72 against Vanderbilt. Like he is starting to heat up and his rhythm with Carson Beck is, is going to be something that I think, unfortunately for Missouri, you're like, man, wish we'd been able to uh, keep him on campus right now. If for no other reason, then he wouldn't be dicing up our secondary. So I'm, I, I, I tend to lean your way. Danny, how do you, how do you look at this one? Can you win in a shootout if you're Missouri? Um, you know, like we've been saying, I, I, I think they could put up some points potentially. I mean, Georgia's, they're worse. They're not. They're not very good in pressuring the passer. They're like a hundred and something in sacks. Uh, you know, Tom was just mentioning the red zone defense. Teams are scoring a touchdown seventy six percent of the time in the red zone. That's one hundred and twenty second in the country. Um, I like the weapons they have. I mean, Theo Weiss, the guys around Luther uh, Burden are pretty good too. Um, you know, they, I just I think it's a game. Can you? I mean, that, that's how they were in the game with LSU. Now LSU's defense is a problem. I don't think Georgia has the problems that they do. It's also between the hedges, too. I mean, that's that's where Georgia's been different. I am overall leaning with you guys and feeling like – I think there's a theme kind of developing, and it's kind of annoying because <laughs> you see it from all the SEC folks saying, oh, well, this Georgia schedule was so easy. Well, look at it now. Look how tough it is now. And yet, I still think Georgia's going to roll through these teams they play on the back end most likely. I agree strongly with with what Danny and Tom have said. I, I like how does Missouri hang with them? Uh, I, I do think that that Drinkwitz and Kirby Moore are legitimately really good schemers, mm-hmm. and they'll probably scheme their way to some points in this game, right? Just you can get you can get some guys open, and I, I think Missouri is truly dynamic at receiver. Clearly, now I don't think the quarterback's anything special, right? I, I think he's mainly a guy that they scheme it open for. I, I don't really Brady Cook doesn't scare me. Uh, Georgia though. 
one of the unknowns is how well will Missouri look against a team that can really cover? Because so far, Missouri has played these teams. Middle Tennessee State, definitely can't cover. Kansas State, major problems in coverage. Memphis, obvious problems in coverage. Vanderbilt, one of the worst secondaries we've seen in this league in quite a while. LSU, huge problems in coverage. Kentucky, the worst part about that defense is their corners. South Carolina, disaster in coverage this year. I think you can argue that they have not faced a top 25 secondary in the sport so far, and we're, we're through October. Georgia can legitimately cover guys. Both corners are really good. Tyke Smith is really good. Malachi can really play. So how well do these Missouri guys do when they get hands put on them and guys who are running with them? Like, How many times can you scheme open touchdowns? Because I'm not sure how many one-on-ones you're going to be able to create, and of those you create, how many you can win. On the other side, like, look, Missouri gave Georgia a lot of trouble last year, mm-hmm. okay, particularly Missouri's defense. That's a double-edged sword. Number one, they might be able to run that back and, and, and have, have you know good success with that because Georgia's O-line is a clear step back from where it was last year. Number two, this is a clear letdown spot for Georgia. You just thump Florida. Next week, you go on the road to play Tennessee. But I do think Kirby will have their attention because this is the game they almost lost last year, right? And I think he's going to be able to say, hey, you remember this? You guys thought you were hot stuff last year. Not so much when you had to had to go to Como. So, I, I don't know. Like, is we get 12 versions of a team every year. Like, why is this like the 10th or 11th or 12th best version? You know, like, why is this the very best Georgia's going to play? Maybe it is because it's at home. Oh, sorry, Ole Miss next week at home. Right. They're in a pretty good, you know, pretty good run of teams. And they get, they get Tennessee after. But this is like clearly the game you would overlook if you're Georgia. But they overlooked them last year. That's my point. Yeah. That's Kirby's best motivator. And they're number two. And they're number two. Nobody believes in them. Yeah. College football playoff selection committee said you're going seven and five. On the flip side. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I know we're running long on this. What good passing offense has Georgia seen? South Carolina. Yeah. I guess, but they really couldn't block and they scored 13. Yeah, no, it's there's definitely something to that, but just these are the this is the best set of receivers Georgia's secondary will have lined up against all easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best since Vanderbilt. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, wasn't Wells out for South Carolina? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I know he's not nothing special, but Pearsall's okay, and I like Trey Wilson, but I, that's more talent than production so far. But yeah, I'd say overall from top to bottom, this is definitely the best in terms of attacking downfield for sure like florida Mm -hmm. their their depth of target is like almost negative yeah especially because like when you've got when you've got burden in the slot that could cause you know that that gets weiss and cooper and those guys that can create space for them over the top that other teams aren't really capable of doing so it's going to be interesting to see but i also think george is probably just going to drop into coverage a lot (laughs) and try to confuse brady cook yeah just all right brady you Mm -hmm. you're so accurate you find the hole you, yeah, you, you throw like a thousand passes without an interception. Okay, well, <laughs> why, why don't you throw 40 times? Mm-hmm. Let's see if you can throw 40 times on this secondary and not throw an interception. Yeah. Also, at 3.30, you know we got all the different screens so that you can be sure that you're keeping up with the SEC on CBS while also keeping an eye on a very, very exciting edition of the Bedlam rivalry because Oklahoma State – I mean, 
I believe that when we get to the October superlatives coming up later in the show, there, there are arguments in almost every single category. Almost every single category. Cowboys had an incredible October. Got themselves into a spot where they are in the top 25 of the college football playoff selection committee rankings. They were playing at home with the hated rival Oklahoma in town. Sooners are going to be off, leaving the conference next year. And OU is just a six-point favorite. Again, second straight road game. They just got field-stormed in the loss to Kansas the week before. Bud, you giving this scrap, Ollie Gordon and this scrappy Oklahoma State team a chance to be able to pull off the upset and throw this Big 12 title race into true chaos? In some ways, I am. Yeah, I, I, because I'm not really sure that Oklahoma is is that good. Oklahoma may have just played its game of the year against Texas, right? That yardage success rate-wise, they were pretty much the same as SMU at home, right? Some turnovers turned that game. The, the struggle game they had at Cincinnati looks worse after every game Cincinnati plays. You know, now, beating Iowa State looks better. So Oklahoma may just be – a very good but not great football team. And if you're just a very good team, you can lose to another team that is like an above-average level team. I mean, I think we all would agree Oklahoma State's somewhere between like, what, 20 and 40 in your power ratings? Mm-hmm. You can't ignore the South Alabama thing, but they were still rotating quarterbacks and went on the road and beat Arizona State. And they've, you know, they've had some competitive games. Most of them have been kind of coin flippy, except for the Cincinnati one, honestly. So yeah, I give Oklahoma State a chance because Oklahoma's run defense has not been particularly good this year. And Oklahoma's run game is not that great. So you're putting on Dylan Gabriel, a guy who I just – I'm not very impressed by, honestly. I think he's kind of like Jag plus, you know, not not like a drafted guy type thing. So you have to put a lot on him without Andre Anthony. I guess we'll see. I think he's better than Jag plus. I <clears throat> um. I didn't, you know, full disclosure here, like the South Alabama loss early in the year. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to Oklahoma State earlier this year. I kind of wrote them off and said, all right, I'm not really going to have to pay much attention to them. But I have, since they've started this run and had a great October, I've, I've been paying a little closer attention to them and watching their games. And I think Ollie Gordon is great. And I think finally going to one quarterback is great instead of playing the, you know, musical chairs at the spot and just creating confusion. What I don't think is great is Oklahoma State's defense, mm. particularly its secondary. I, I I can't remember the one safety's name. I think he's the the, the free safety's okay. The strong safety's eh. the corners are eh. and statistically it backs up what my eyes have seen because they allow a lot of explosive pass plays. Which I don't know if you know this about Oklahoma, they are capable of creating. <laughs> explosive pass plays but on the flip side what what's the one defensive weakness we've discussed about with oklahoma the last few weeks its ability to stop the run and limit big plays on the ground and here comes mr 250 yards a game ollie gordon you know barry sanders reincarnate for the cowboys it's gonna be this game's gonna come down to which team addresses its weakness the best can oklahoma oklahoma limit the big plays on the ground can oklahoma state cover anybody in the secondary We'll find out. I, I have a feeling it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to look like Bedlam. And I think either one of these teams could win. But I I like more of what I've seen on the Sooners defense than what I've seen on the Cowboys defense so far. Uh, Danny Stutzman banged up his ankle. 
I was trying to find out any news on him. I guess it's game time, but Venable said Stutzman wants to play, Like, but he said we might of wait. Of course he does. What about yeah, Danny Stutzman and his vibe says that that guy's not going to be out there hobbling around. He'll have that sucker taped up. Um, I thought Oklahoma against Kansas, they were a little shell-shocked early. You know, it was interesting. I talked to Brady Quinn yesterday. I saw him in studio, and he was there. And – like they looked cold. I'm like, well, and I guess the cold front came in late. Like it was, or it came in faster than it was expected. So I think it did catch everybody off guard. But man, they looked shell shocked early. Then they did start running the ball. Then they got away from it. Man, I think this game is a, a lot about what you guys talked about. I I don't know, like the Venables rebuild. I think it's better than it was last year. But are they built to stop this run game? I don't know. And then if they do get run all over, my goodness, you're going to see some Oklahoma fans upset. But if you can take them away, I'm, I don't know if Alan Bowman, like Alan Bowman's good. I'm going to talk about a Jag. I think he's a Jag. Yes. Yeah. You know, like if you can, if you can manage to put a lot of guys up there and stop Gordon dramatically increases their success, but everybody's tried to do that. No one's been able to do it. I think Oklahoma would have the best personnel to do it that they've faced, but I don't know. I'm torn on this game because I really – it is – Oklahoma has limped into this game. I mean, since mm-hmm. Texas, they go back to the UCF game, was close and not great, and then they had the game against Kansas, and they let Jason Bean drive the length of the field. They couldn't get stops there. I mean, it it is crunch time here, and, and Oklahoma State has all this momentum. I was thinking I don't want to like uh, jump on the Fernellis, but I was thinking about the uh, the Mississippi State Memorial like early season champion, and I feel like Oklahoma uh, in a, another game. We're not doing a, a full breakdown, but we will definitely discuss uh, tomorrow on the Locks Pod. But Washington going to USC, it's like Oklahoma and Washington at the beginning of the month got these massive wins. And then since then, you're kind of you know starting to poke a, poke a few holes in just how excellent these programs are, especially when we're grading them against teams that are competing for a national championship. Both teams are on the road. Both teams are favorites of less than a touchdown. We'll, we'll see if anybody gets got and ends up being that Mississippi State Memorial uh, early season champion. Last thing on this, tackling. It's going to be absolutely huge, right? So Oklahoma, the last two games, their tackling has been horrendous. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, like, they, 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 UCF forced a lot of missed tackles. So did Kansas. Both those teams use a lot of misdirection to get, get guys out of position. You know, Oklahoma State doesn't really have a great attack you downfield, but they have to, they, they really have to tackle well. On the other side, without Andre Anthony, we talked about this on the Monday show. I'm not real scared of Oklahoma's receivers. Oklahoma throws more than a quarter of their passes behind the line of scrimmage. They're 91st in how many passes they throw downfield. Oklahoma does hit explosive pass plays, but a lot of them come from short stuff and getting guys out of position and breaking tackles. Like the team that wins this game is probably the team that doesn't allow the short stuff to become the long stuff because they didn't get out of position and they tackled well. Like that, neither team really threatens you down the field a whole lot, but they do, like Oklahoma can be a little more explosive. Paddles. Do you know who ranks 86th nationally in missed tackle rate? Who? Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Do you know who's 115th? Uh, not Oklahoma. They're 58. 
Oh, I've got a different stat then. Okay. Oh, we got ourselves a stat off. Stat war. Oh, the nerds are having a stat war. Stat war. Um, yeah. Over under a 61. Too little? I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot about missed tackles. Right. And I know what yeah. Bedlam does. Like the DNA of this rivalry. Interesting. Might be a line, line too little. All right. One more big game breakdown. 7.45 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, the Network of Stars. You can stream it on Paramount Plus. LSU, after taking down Alabama in overtime last season, now arrives to Bryant-Denny Stadium, and we've got first place in the SEC West on the line. Alabama 5-0 in conference play, currently holding down that spot. LSU 4-1 in conference play, though that loss comes to Ole Miss. Things could get convoluted, but a win over the Tide – go a long way towards putting the Tigers back in that picture for Atlanta. Alabama favored by three. Jaden Daniels on an absolute heater this season. Jaden Daniels right now is carrying the kind of statistical profile into the Alabama game through eight games that a young man named Joe Burrow had. Joe Burrow heading into Alabama, 30 touchdowns, four interceptions, 2,805 passing yards, 10.8 per attempt. The offense was averaging 46.8 points per game. Jaden Daniels, 25 touchdowns, three interceptions, 2,573 passing yards, 11.5 yards per attempt, and the offense averaging 47.4 points per game. Danny, Jalen Milrow does not need to be better than Jaden Daniels in this game but can he be good enough to give Alabama a chance to uh, get this huge win, a revenge win against uh, the Tigers? Just keep chucking it deep. You know my philosophy on Jalen Milrow, just find Jermaine Burton somewhere down the field and heave it. Uh, to back up the theory, he's completing 60% of his passes that travel 20 or more yards through the air. I mean, he's only 64% overall, so like, just, <laughs> just keep throwing it deep. Um, I say that jokingly. I so I think with with Jalen Milrow versus Jaden Daniels, I, doesn't it feel like if there was ever one game where you and I know you can't win it in one game, but like this is Jaden Daniels' potential Heisman moment. Like Correct. this is the one where he could win the Heisman. And I know there's a lot of football left, and we'd have to see what happens from then on. But my goodness, he would absolutely be minus money if he wins this game and plays the way he's capable of. Um. What I'm trying to figure out is, is Bama fixed all their issues because that's kind of the narrative you're hearing. But I also recognize the teams that they played against are not exactly stellar. Uh, you know, like their defense has been all of a sudden this much better since the Texas game. But outside the old Miss game, which was in their backyard, like who's the best quarterback they've played? You know, who's the best offense they've played? So this clearly will be their biggest challenge defensively. And then offensively, everyone's had their success on LSU. But I think they've actually played some of the really good offensive schemes. Like, so I, I think LSU's defense may not be as bad as we think. They're not good. But I think this could be a higher scoring game. Like, I think you could see some back and forth. And if it is, kind of think that favors LSU and Jaden Daniels. I think there's some really important injuries to look for here. Ooh, like, let's really go. Infirmary report. Yeah. Need this. Yeah. Right. Um, down. Yeah. If you've been watching Brian Kelly's press conferences, you've been watching the Auburn game and the Army game, the last two they played before the bye week. Didn't watch the Army game. Are any of the four corner transfers they took going to play? 
That would be Harris, Alexander, Chestnut, and Johnson. I think it, there's a lot of signal in, in your action and inaction in the portal. And if you take four corners, that probably means you hate your corner room. <laughs> and if your corners are Sage Ryan and four guys who you did not plan on having to play this year because all, all the other guys are either hurt, suspended, or kicked off the team, take your pick. I think that's a real problem. They didn't have Makai Wingo against Army. He coming back? Because Mason Smith this year has not looked quite like the same Mason Smith that he looked like, you know, pre-injury. If they don't have him, like that, that's a real difference maker in the middle. And if they don't have those corners, I am very confident that Alabama is going to be able to create wide open guys and free runners here for Milrow to hit. I, I think who you have on the field has to matter. The other injury I really care about here is right tackle Emory Jones, who, if you watch the end of the, I think it was the Army game or the Auburn game, I think Army, he was on crutches on the TV copy. Is he back? I don't know. The backup's a true freshman, Lance Hurd, who we liked a ton, but he's still a true freshman going into Tuscaloosa. I I think Alabama's defense, with two weeks to prepare, is going to have something for Daniels. I think this is the first defense that LSU will have played who's going to put hands on people, and I mean receivers in particular, since FSU. FSU held them to 17. They challenged routes. LSU got some yards, and they won some in the red zone. If you played that again, I mean – LSU got what, 17 for garbage time? They probably should have had like 24 because the, the red zone goal line four town stands are not totally repeatable. But I don't know that LSU's going in there and dropping 45 against a team that can run with them and can put hands on them. I was looking at my stats bomb earlier today. Brian Thomas has to be huge in this game because Neighbors is not a good contested catch guy. He's really amazing in space. But Thomas has to be the one who, when people put hands on you, can win one-on-ones. And I, I think that that's got to be huge for them yeah, chat saying uh, Wingo's been announced out. Guys, I think that matters quite a bit. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, you mentioned it already, but like Chip, you said that Jalen Milrow doesn't need to outplay Jaden Daniels. I, yes, I agree. But I think more importantly is how good does Jaden Daniels have to play in this game for, L, for LSU to have a chance to beat Alabama? Because as Bud was mentioning, like Jaden's worst game of the year just to show how good he's been was the Florida state game. It's the only game where he finished under 10 yards per attempt. He only had 9.4. He only threw for 346 yards in that game. Other and than 85 that, of those were on that pass against all the true freshmen when Norvell emptied the bench. No, but I mean, like they only scored like 17 real points, not the 24 that they finished with those points don't count. Anyways, <laughs> the point I'm getting to is that, Jaden Daniels has been phenomenal all year, but they what's the best defense it's played? Like Florida State was good in that first game, but on the season, Florida State has given up explosive plays time and time again to everybody it's faced. I don't, I think it's got good players. I don't think it's a great defense. It's not Grambling, it's not Mississippi State, it's not Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mizzou, Auburn Army. This is far and away the best defense that Jaden Daniels and this LSU offense will have faced so far this season. And I think the key will be, you know, Alabama this year doesn't play a ton of man, but it plays a fair bit, like, of man coverage. And I'm wondering if in this game to kind of counteract Jaden Daniels' ability with his legs, do we see Alabama going more zone? Do we see them spying him to try to take away his legs and seeing if he could just beat them with his arm? Because that is the one thing about Jaden. He is much better this year, but he still has a tendency to just 
drop it and go instead of sticking around and waiting for a second or third read. Like, I don't think he has progressed that much as a passer reading, you know, defenses and, you know, going through his reads. On the other side, and I also think it's very important for Alabama, can you get LSU in third and long? Because yes, it's been the best third down offense in the country by far. But part of that is, and they're also, they're good in third and long, but they're in third and short 38.5% of the time of their third downs. That is the fourth highest third and short kind of rate in the nation. They convert 77% of them. Like that is what LSU's secret is. They keep the drives alive. And a big part of that is Jaden Daniels legs. Alabama is in third and long 51% of the time. They're averaging, they need usually 7.3 yards per play on third down. So third downs are going to be huge in this game. More importantly, it's going to be, can Alabama get LSU in more third and long situations? Because if they're in third and short, you're toast. You're not going to stop them. Teams very rarely do. They're hard to defend in that spot. And also going back to the quarterback battle again, Jalen Milrow, Danny, you said it. He's completing 66% of his passes of 20 air yards or more. LSU's defense ranks 105th nationally in explosive play rate allowed in the passing game. Alabama's only 13th. Are the big plays going to be there for LSU? I don't know. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup. I think LSU can win this game. I also think they're a very trendy pick. I do not. Listen, I do not want to be holding an LSU ticket and watch Daniels get crushed in the open field by an Alabama defensive front that imposes violence on the opponent. I want no part of that. I mean, Nussmeyer's good, right? But if you have to go to Nussmeyer, that's night-night, right? There's no way that the offense is still going to be running at the same clip because an average, Jane Daniels' average this season, an average performance, is maybe good enough to get this done. But I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to be trusting Nussmeyer to be able to deliver that kind of production. If LSU can get to 35 points against this Alabama defense, it can win the football game. Can LSU get pressure? I mean, Alabama's been giving up pressure to everybody else. Yeah, they give yeah, up a I ton think, of pressure. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's Jalen standing there waiting for his receiver to get 30 yards down the field because I think that is what their <laughs> offense is. I mean, if you can't pressure Alabama, your pass rush sucks. Yeah, I mean, big Harold Perkins game, right? Very big. I I think he asked, like, he's played a lot better, honestly. I think he's more comfortable with the role, and I think they've done a nice job of fitting the role, you know, to him. Um, Tom, I love that point about how you got to stay out of of third and short. LSU is number one in the country by a mile in first down success rate. Mm -hmm. That's why I think, like, Bama being aggressive with coverage, putting hands on people, denying some of these easy access throws, it – we just haven't seen LSU have to operate behind the chains very much. I mean, how, how many how many third and longs have they faced this year? Very few. Can't be many. No, and they're still even, I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're still converting like 39% of their third and longs, which I think ranked in the top five nationally. That's the receivers. No, that's yeah. Jaden scrambling. Oh, okay. A lot of it. Some. I mean, the receivers are very good too, but Jaden Daniels scrambles a lot on third and long. Because you drop back, you leave a big old hole, and he just runs right through it. You know the weird thing? They're actually not very good at third and short. Like, they see a ton of third and short, but they're they're just okay. They're, like, awesome in long down a distance so far, but... Talk about LSU? Yeah, it's kind of weird. 
Like they see so many third and shorts, but they don't convert that like at some astronomical rate. The that checks out. I mean, do you, tr- do you trust LSU? Do you trust LSU in like hard yardage, run the football situations? Well, their run game has been a problem for like the first month. It's been better. Yeah. yeah. All right. Because defenses are so terrified of passing, yeah, that they're leaving lanes yeah. for the running All right, back. So here's yeah. what we're doing. Um, we're gonna have two down linemen for this third and two. Okay. Yes. <laughs> You're gonna put everybody else at the perimeter. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, a lot of awesome football in the month of October, but what was the very, very best? We'll get into our October superlatives next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, and at the end of every single month, we like to get together and we like to hand out the Cover 3 awards. We've got the player of the month. We've got the coach of the month, the team of the month, the game of the month, and of course, everyone's favorite, the Fornellis. Let's begin with player of the month. Danny, who would you like to nominate for consideration? Uh, I will go. I give one nomination, or I mentioned several of my nominees. Let's, there are no rules here. Yeah, there's. I mean, this is. <laughs> yeah, this is. I'll go. We talked about him a little bit earlier. I'll go. Ollie Gordon, Oklahoma State. Mentioned back to back 250 plus games in the month. He's been over 100 yards every time. I think you look at Oklahoma State's turnaround this season. It's in large part because of the work that he's done. Uh, I don't know who else you guys have. I had a couple others, but I think he's a pretty strong candidate. First of all, that's my like. I've, again, I've got some others that I want to highlight. Um, in the he had four games in the month of October. Uh, the Oklahoma State goes four and zero in that uh, series. In the month of October alone, he's averaging two hundred and fourteen point two yards per game. In the month of October, <laughs> uh, next best is Georgia State's Marcus Carroll at one fifty nine. So he's more than fifty yards per game better than the second best or second most productive running back. Uh, what he's meant to this Oklahoma State team and their turnaround and the way that this month has been. He did it against Kansas, Kansas State. Um, these are these are the teams that are also competing for the Big Twelve title. So in terms of significance, in terms of production, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you, Danny. I, I would endorse uh, Ollie Gordon as uh, as as our as, as a nominee. I will, I will go a step further on Ali Gordon. You just mentioned his rushing yards. In October, total yards, including receiving, 999 total yards in four games, nine total touchdowns. The second, he's got 999 total yards. In second place is North Carolina's O'Marion Hampton with 655 yards. <laughs> so he's 354 more yards in the month than any other player in the country. So, yeah. Um, other guys to consider, I think, I, you're both voting for Ali. I'm voting for Ali, so I think we know who's winning. But I will just say other guys. <laughs> Frank Harris, UTSA, had a huge month for the Roadrunners, 1,204 yards, 12 touchdowns. Marvin Harrison, 31 catches, 553 yards, 5 touchdowns. James Madison's Jalen Green. I know we don't talk about defense here when it comes to the player of the month, but nine sacks, 25 pressures in the month. And Notre Dame's Xavier Watts. Four interceptions, one of which he returned for a pick six, and a passer rating of 34.5 against him in the month. The guy I want to nominate over Ollie is a guy who was really instrumental in all three wins for a national title contender, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, they they were struggling against Maryland, and then they were like, easy button, let's just throw it up to Harrison. And he caught it, 163 and a touchdown. Next week against Purdue, whatever. Then Penn State, guys, Ohio State's offense ain't no different than Penn State's except for one guy. It's Harrison Jr. 19 targets, 11 catches, a buck 63, and a touchdown. Last week, I mean, 24 to 10 
over Wisconsin. Do they lose that game without Harrison Jr.? I don't know, but it'd be a hell of a lot closer, right? Six catches, a buck 20, 23, two touchdowns. I mean, it, Ohio State could have a three-loss month if they didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, he's been the difference. The passing offense without him is it's pretty mid. So I, I, I understand, Ollie, and that, that's probably the right choice, but Harrison's had a huge impact from the receiver position. Um, we also talked about Daniels just in the month of October. Uh, you had wins against, yeah, it was Missouri, Auburn, and Army. Missouri's the big one. Nine touchdowns, one interception. Uh, best passer rating of all FBS quarterbacks in the month of October. Mm-hmm. And look, I know it was Minnesota, Indiana, and Michigan State, but J.J. McCarthy has been cooking. All right, I know it was Minnesota, Indiana, and Michigan State. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions, 11.4 yards per attempt. I would not nominate him over some of these other names. I would not nominate him over his rival, Marvin Harrison Jr., but at least a a spotlight that I wanted to shine on a a player who, when you're talking about Michigan football, you mention nine names before you get to J.J. McCarthy. And I think, you know, Connor Stallions, of course, being one of them, Jim Harbaugh, Jesse Minter, you know, just sort of Jay Harbaugh, run through the coaching staff and the NCAA investigation. But I, uh, I think McCarthy had a pretty good month, and that was that's a good thing because Michigan ran the spring game offense and had glorified practices for most of September. We were un- wholly unimpressed. Conference season starts. Now we get to see the Wolverines and sort of what the next evolution of that offense looks like. And I think McCarthy's been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Ollie Gordon, we're doing it. Three. Congratulations yeah. to Oklahoma State running back. Ollie Gordon, you are the Cover Three podcast player of the month the month of October <laughs> over that. under on Connor stallions password being password <laughs> Somebody mentioned earlier, they're like, what's what's Connor stallions doing right now is that well he's he's probably uh, using his own name and his credit own credit card number and you know hey hotels in uh, he was very self-aware when he knew the TV copy was gonna be on him and he went kind of like this. <laughs> <laughs> when he was on the sidelines at Central Michigan allegedly Can we get the coach of the month nomination oh there we go <laughs> <laughs> do you know which video I'm talking about when they have the mm-hmm. guy that like the player runs off the field and he like almost hits the fan and he's right next to him he literally like is trying to like it's like the guy with the girlfriend that's not his girlfriend and the kiss cam and he's like oh crap it's kind of like that allegedly yeah I, I, it really does look like the intern who's trying too hard Yes. I, That's why it, I want to nominate him for coach of the month. Like who else is going <laughs> above and beyond? Like like Connor Stallions allegedly. It's like, on his own doing this. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you think about summer interns at companies and you know, there's the try hard and, and the, the people who work there like, yeah, sure, whatever. All right, cool. Like get out of my office now. I feel that's that's the vibe I'm getting. It it doesn't seem it seems like he thought he was Belichick. It doesn't seem like it seems like that was only in his own mind. I am less impressed by this scheme as though it was this giant, well-executed, nefarious plot with every single detail that we seem to be getting. Giant, nefarious plot, yes. Well-executed, no. No, I don't think it's even like... (laughs) Giant would include people in real power, you know, doing more than like, oh, yeah, cool, thanks. I appreciate it. If it was well-executed, we would not have heard about it. (laughs) At least not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, uh, other than Connor Stallions, uh, what nominees do we have for Coach of the Month? All right, I want to go last thing. I need to Google because I, I, I was going Connor. 
You can nominate him. It's fine. You can, yeah, you can nominate him. All right, Connor uh, Stallion's my nomination. He, above and beyond. My, I, I want to mention Mike Gundy and Matt Rule as yeah. nominees for Coach of the Month, both of whom kind of turned their seasons around in October and put their teams in the position to you know compete for conference titles. And Matt Rule's been doing it with a team that's really banged up and injured. But my actual nominee, my number one, a little bit off the board. I don't know if any of you other guys will have him there. Brent Pry, Virginia Tech, made the QB switch. That team's fortunes have drastically changed ever since they made that move. They lost the first couple of games, but it was a better long-term play, and it is starting to pay off with more wins. They're only 4-4 four and four overall, but they're 3-1 and one in the ACC and legitimately have a chance to reach the ACC I'm championship game. I don't think they will, but they have a chance. Stadium. I'll piggyback on that. They also pretty well. Uh, what about Jeff Halfley, Boston College, four and zero in the month? And how far ago does it seem? Was it Holy Cross? The players were talking trash after they mm-hmm. lost Boston mm-hmm. North in a dogfight versus Holy Cross. And they come back now to five and three on the year. Got a couple ACC coaches turnaround uh, seasons. Um, I was gonna nominate Mike Gundy, but I couldn't because the team turnaround. Maybe because. He didn't play Ollie Gordon the first couple games. <laughs> kind of hard to say, like, way to go, coach. You finally found him. Um, I'll go. I was going to go Lance Leipold as one, but they also lost a couple games, like inexplicable. I mean, it was a signature win for the program, but I couldn't justify that. Um, I had Rhett Lashley four and zero in the month with four blowouts at SMU, but I'll go. Ahead, I'll go Brent Pry. I think what he's done has been phenomenal. Brent Key has huge wins against Miami and North ACC. Carolina. Let's go. But also a loss to Bowling Green, Bowling Green. and a loss to <laughs> oh, Boston ACC. College that eliminate him from consideration for uh, for this award. I, I It actually is in the Cover 3 Awards bylaws that if you lose to Boston College and Bowling Green in the same month, you are ruled ineligible. So tough scene. Big wins against the Hurricanes and the Heels. But uh, sorry, Brent Key. Wasn't the uh, wasn't the the Bowling Green loss the last day of September? It might. I I I think oh, okay. I able to wipe that off the record. I I have I have a couple. It lingers um, though. Dead fish <laughs> at Arizona. Oh. Mm-hmm. Really nice job. Uh, I can't give it to him because he should have gone for two in that first overtime. So like that that's a demerit there. But nomination, not a winner. Uh, and now I'm blanking on the UNLV coach's name, but he's done a great Barry job. Odom. Barry Odom. Barry, Barry Odom. Odom. Really nice month. Almost beat. You know, Fresno uh, last week. How about David Braun at Northwestern? Mm-hmm. Like two conference wins in a month is mm-hmm. pretty ridiculous. So a lot of good nominations. What Matt about, um, yeah, Matt Campbell, 3-0 and in the month, wins against uh, TCU, Cincinnati, and at Baylor, two of those being on the road away from Ames. Seems like all, all, all of our midseason turnaround guys are really leading the charge right now. So who gets the award? <laughs> Uh, my vote's pry. Good with that, but Danny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I seconded him when we talked about it, but like, there are some really good candidates. David Braun, what he was given, like what mm-hmm. he inherited before the season, a total mess. It's been great. I kind of vote Braun. Like he beat two teams that are definitely going bowling, right? At mm-hmm. Northwestern, that, that's that's kind of impressive. Maryland and Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. You know, met a neighbor last night trick-or-treating, a couple houses down. He did the thing like, I'm going to put the Northwestern jersey on the skeleton. 
you know, show you how dead everything is. <laughs> I, I, I gave him a little hat tip. I was like, that's funny. Uh, I like that. <laughs> so let's, let's give them some flowers right there. So congratulations to interim coach David Braun of Northwestern. You are the Cover 3 Podcast Coach of the Month. All right. Now the team of the month, and there are uh, oftentimes with, you know, team and coach does seem to be some correlation. I don't think Northwestern is going to be the team of the month, though. Nope. How about There's only one team of the month? Oh, is it not the world famous Ohio State Buckeyes? I was actually going their rival because YouTube has stopped juicing numbers for any kind of Dion related content, but they are loving that Michigan content. So Michigan <laughs> is my team of the month because this is a business. And anytime you talk Michigan, we are doing some numbers. So Wolverines, uh, based on a really, really strong two week traffic trend, are my team of the month. I'm, I'm, I do mean Ohio State, by the way. Like, yeah, no, the, legitimately, they should be. You get the Penn State win, you go into Madison. It is not. Uh, a group that steps off the bus and scores 40, but they are awesome. And they finished the month being named by the selection committee, the number one team in the first set of playoff rankings. It was a month that uh, I think, you know, has everybody reframing what Ohio state is, but they, uh, they had some of the best and most significant wins in the country. Yeah. I think Ohio state is a perfectly good candidate. I would also nominate Oklahoma state again, 4-0, but also one Danny mentioned, SMU, not only 3-0 in the month, but won by 45 points per game. <laughs> like, dominated the teams they played. I had Oklahoma State as well. I had Ole Miss. Uh, the big win over LSU was in the month, 4-0, uh, undefeated in the month. So I had them. Oklahoma State, I gave them because I couldn't give it to Gundy because of the way he – but they, it wasn't their fault. They're just going out there trying to win games. But I'll go Ohio State. I, I'm good with the, Oklahoma State's on my list too. We, we didn't give Gundy. I had Gundy as a potential, but I if, if we're not going to go Gundy for coach, I, I go Ohio we'll, State because of the bigger wins over. Like it's just like the college football playoff. I think they've got the bigger wins than anybody else that we've nominated. So, and those Michigan fans who've been juicing our YouTube numbers, they'll jump in just to give hate. Mm-hmm. Yes, they will. That's right. There we go. The other other one I wanted to nominate. Troy, like being road warriors at Georgia State, at Army, they smoked that Arkansas State team that, that got hyped up. And then last week they, they went on the road to Texas State. Like it's hard to just live on the road and, you know, three road wins in a month at a place like Troy is not super easy. So, congratulations to the team of the month, the Ohio State Buckeyes. They dropped all the way down to six, they haven't lost a game. They dropped down to sixth in the polls and have worked their way all the way back up to number three in the AP poll, number one in the playoff rankings. Uh, Buckeyes enter a November that starts on CBS in Piscataway, Michigan State, Minnesota at home, and then the game in Ann Arbor against the fighting Connor Stallions. All right, game of the month for the month of October. I would like to nominate two off the bat. They were both at the beginning of the month. First, uh, Oklahoma 34, Texas 30, Red River there on October 7th. And then the very next week, Washington over Oregon in Seattle on October 14th. Both of those had uh, incredible national significance in terms of both conference and national title races. Both came down to the very, very last moments and plays. Both had huge swings in them. 
basically everything that you want out of a, a matchup between heavyweights. So I've got Red River and Washington, Oregon uh, as my nominations. Excellent nominations. Those yeah. are the top two on my board as well. But I'd also like to send some love to USC 43, Arizona 41. Houston 41, West Virginia 39 with the two oh, crazy plays right. in the final minute of the game. Uh, Stanford 46, Colorado 43. Most people were asleep. I wasn't. I watched the whole thing happen. And then how can you not mention Mississippi State 7, Arkansas 3, or Nevada <laughs> 6, San Diego State 0? Those should probably be your third and fourth place winners. How can you not mention Haynes King taking two plays to try the length of the field when you were given a gift <laughs> by Mario Cristobal for not taking a knee at the end of that one to go on to win 23-20. Uh, like you guys, I also at Stanford, that was the breakout party. Some people said the player of the month could have been Alec Aomenor, the uh, wide receiver who went off in that game. That uh, was a good candidate. Uh, but, you know, 29 nothing historic comeback there. But I – the top two are clear. I think they're easy. The same ones Chip gave. Did we mention Oklahoma, Kansas? I had it down. I don't think it was that epic, but like disqualified. Yeah. Disqu- any weather delay game Gosh, is disqualified. Fair, fair, fair. All right. <laughs> Didn't they boot it? They boot. I've never seen a, a network do that before. They were yeah. on Fox and they booted it to FS1. Typically, you don't see that. You'll see the the game that's just kicking off secondary network. I've never seen that before. Because they, ha- I mean, it was Oregon, Utah, which before, right until the third drive of the game, we thought was going to be like this gone back. Up. We that made a mistake. We Let's screwed up. Hold on, we're going back. And I, oh man, I don't have it pulled up, but there was another that sent an FS1 game to Fox Business. Mm-hmm. Like an FS1 yeah. game started, and like um, day trading. Danny was pissed. He was trying to watch the market, right. and all of a sudden, he had to watch whatever was on that. <laughs> The scary uh, thing is whatever came on after Oklahoma, Kansas, I remember being like, oh, my God. Like I would, I would never in a million years put this on the main TV. And I was like, you look up, like, whoa, how'd that get on there? It, yeah, I think it was, it was Cincinnati. You know, like, <laughs> you're just – like, some really bad. Like third, like, tier, uh, third tier Big 12 game. Um, all right, so which one? I'm, I'm voting for Oregon-Washington because I feel like not only was it a great game with two top ten teams, but I also feel like narrative-wise it gave us a whole lot of stuff to talk about with like the fourth down decisions and whatnot. I thought the quality of play was better in that one than Red River. Ooh. Like both teams executed better, I thought. Like they're both team played some defense. It it, it was less like a, like they made mistakes type thing. I I thought that was the a lot of drama and high quality of play both sides. That's my vote. I'll go both of them similar. I mean, both the drives Dylan Gabriel put together and Michael Penix put together to come back and win. I'll go Oregon, Washington. I love the controversy aspect, you know, the the 0 for 3 on fourth downs. I like that that was a topic, and I also think that game will have more significant playoff implications. Also, maybe a preview of what we'll see in Las Vegas. So, congratulations to Washington's win against Oregon. You are the Cover 3 Podcast Game of the Month for the month of October. And now, everyone's favorite portion of the show. Tom, let's hear it. The Fernellis. All right. Well, we've discussed this man a lot already on the show today, so it's he deserves an award. The Austin Powers International Man of Mystery of the Month goes to Connor Stallions, the Michigan assistant, for just 
going above and beyond to do his job and to get the signals. And again, that is allegedly him on the sideline at the Western Michigan game. We don't know for sure. Uh, the Steve Spurrier Award for shit talking his coach of the month goes to Georgia's Kirby Smart. I know Dave Doran told Steve Smith to kiss his ass, but that's not really talking crap. That's just kind of an angry coach. Kirby was putting his player hating on at the podium and press conferences all month, whether it was addressing the Michigan sign stealing by talking about, I don't think it mattered much in our game or going after Dan Mullen's recruiting prowess in front of everybody for the world to see just an incredible performance. I'm happy to see Kirby's feeling himself. He's won two national titles. This team's getting rolling and he's feeling great about it. Uh, the dumbest decision of all time of the month, Mario Cristobal for not kneeling. You idiot. What the hell were you doing? Um, the Stop Trying to Make Fetch Happen Award of the Month goes to Gus Johnson for Maserati Marv. It sucks. It's a terrible nickname. I hope the check cleared. Drop it and move on. Fair Catch Signal of the Month. Oh. I was Cooper DeJean. Buddy. It was a fair catch. I wish it wasn't because I bet on an Iowa defensive or special teams touchdown plus 700 in that game, but it was a fair catch. The call wasn't wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, the segment of the month goes to day trading Danny. It's been a great segment. I've loved it every single week. I hope it keeps going. I really enjoy it. The worst governing body of the month award goes to the NCAA. You only existed for years to bust kids for getting money. And now that they can legally get paid and you have to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do now, instead of doing it yourself, you're begging Congress to figure it out for you. You're worthless. You have no purpose. Move on with your lives. Uh, the wagon of the month, Ooh. SMU. Not only did they go 3-0 and straight up and beat teams by 45 points per game, but they went 3-0 against the spread and covered by 26 points per game. You're not an official wagon. You're just the wagon of the month. And then finally, the Vladimir Putin propaganda machine of the month goes to our very own Bud Elliott for trying to get North Carolina and Louisville ranked in the top 10 every single week to boost Florida State's college football playoff resume. So congratulations, Bud. It is a it is a multi-platform propaganda machine. It's really impressive. It is more impressive and well run than Connor Stallion's sign stealing scandal. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you, Tom. That was excellent. Uh, congratulations to everybody, including our, our winners. Winners. Um, All right, Wednesday night action: Ball State, Bowling Green, Kent State, Akron. Akron is favored by four because that's what happens when it's <laughs> one and seven. Teams without a conference win. Uh, Ball State and Bowling Green. Bowling Green favored by five at home. Anybody got a, uh, a lock or a lean? Uh, my Twitter tip is Bowling Green minus five. And that's as far as I'm willing to go on either of tonight's games. Okay. Uh, is there any 38s out there still? Going to go over? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, look, it just this is a lot of faith in two really not very good defenses. Mm -hmm. holding the opponent down both these teams can tempo a little bit so i i, I like over 38 last night's action was snowy it was great yeah it was great yeah. this one looks uh we got three percent humid or a uh, uh, precip and 6.9 mile an hour wind nice mm -hmm. so i hopefully we don't get a, like a surprise snowstorm no nah, it's gonna be too warm it's gonna be in yeah. the upper 30s low 40s in ohio 
Yeah, Michigan was where it was uh, mm-hmm. real snowy last night. Here, too. love to have midweek action back for sure. Oh yeah, and you in Illinois? I'm looking at snow right outside my window right now. So. <laughs> We will be back for the very best time of the week, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, so we can give you our locks for a loaded week 10 in college football. A very special thank you for all of you who watched us on the other stream, let us know about the audio issues, and followed us to a new stream. We still had great viewer numbers, and y'all are a big reason why. If you're listening on the audio side, why don't you just, just go give us a subscribe on the YouTube channel. Just, just to give some appreciation uh, to those subscribers that are, are doing the hard work out there to make sure the Cover 3 community and the Cover 3 tailgate that everybody gets uh, as much of the show in the best quality that is absolutely possible. And you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.